0: So beginning in Romans chapter 3, verses 321 through 4-8. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The word of the Lord. So just as a reminder, Abraham and David are both Old Testament guys, so this is Um, Paul pointing back to the Old Testament as he is saying, the law and the prophets testify to this very thing that I'm teaching. This is not something new. This is something that if you are a believer during the um, time before Christ, then all of these things are not anything new, but now the the reality of it has been brought forward in Jesus Christ. So in the shadows and types that we saw in the Old Testament, um, what we're going to see is Salvation in the Old Testament is also by faith as it was in the New Testament. It's also instilled by faith. So the issue that Paul is addressing is this. How can any human being be declared righteous before God? And that's important. It's, It's ultimate importance. How can any human being be declared righteous before God? Because God is the judge and his judgment is holy And his judgment is final. So how can we appear before this judge. And be declared righteous. Paul doesn't want us to have a mistaken view. Of righteousness before God. He doesn't want us to find out on the last day. Because it is said that in the Bible. That is appointed to man to die once. And then judgment. Paul doesn't want us to be standing at the judgment. And to be found guilty. And we had Thought that God was just going to let us go for some reason, and then we realize too late that there's a problem. Paul doesn't want living, he doesn't want us living out false teaching, and he doesn't want us teaching false teaching. Paul wants us to know the truth. And the Holy Spirit is the one guiding him to tell us this. So that God wants us to know the truth. And what Paul is saying here is that if you expect to plead your own righteousness before God. I am a good person, then that's just not going to fly. Now, we might all in the church go, ah, Yeah, I know. I know. Can't plead you. I'm not good enough. I got it. I got it. I got it. It's like, Yeah, but do you? Because what we all do is when we feel like things are going really bad, then we start to wonder Is it because I'm not doing good? Or even, Am I not offering you more? God, am I not doing enough for you? Why are you doing this to me? So then we begin to operate on a works principle, even if we were to say, I don't believe that I'm saved by works. There are none who are good. No, not one. But man, you ought to be treating me better because I sure am. Putting a lot of effort out here for you. And Paul is trying to get us to see. Drill it into your heads. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You in one particular person, but I want to point at every particular person you are you have sinned and you, and you fall short of the glory of God. It's the, every single person. So if you're ever sharing the gospel with somebody and they begin to plead their own righteousness or begin to say, you know, um, they begin to act like they think that you think you're better than them, then a quick thing to point out is, no, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I am guilty because of my sin. You were guilty because of your sin. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And this is what Paul um, is addressing. Paul wants us to know that our very salvation from the wrath of God, and this is an important thing too, because if, if, if it's God's wrath that we're being saved from, then who's going to help you escape from that? And I, this is a, a common theme that I talk about, but I just think it's even I have to get this into my head. You have to get this into your head. It is God's God. God is wrathful towards the unrighteous and the ungodly every day, all the time. And so that kind of counters some of the stuff that we want to say where God loves the world so much. God loves you. You know, that's our evangelistic, you know, I mean, you could we even might even go to. Um, some jihadist that's trying to put Christians to death and he's hating and he's, spilling, he's spitting you know, vitriol towards the God. You know, they, they, uh, Goliath standing out there cursing God and, and, and we run out to him and say, Goliath, God loves you. And we want to say, yes, that's what Goliath needs to hear. Goliath needs to hear that, that he's loved. Goliath is probably Goliath because his daddy beat him you know he's probably had some heart. he's been trained like those cave trolls in Lord of the Rings you know he's been tortured he's says, poor old Goliath he just needs to know that God loves him but but what David what Goliath needed to hear was you are cursing the God of the universe the only one that has the power to save you you are cursing and if you aren't careful God's wrath will be unleashed upon you now I'm not saying that I like the signs that people might hold on the side of the road, turn or burn. I don't know if that's necessarily the the the, the message of the gospel that we want to be uh, having out there. But we do need to have an understanding somehow when we articulate the gospel that the people who are turn who are turning from Him are not victims of just not understanding his love, but there is a, a a hatred of God within them that the Bible itself says that sinners suppress the knowledge of God in their sin. And that what they need to be saved from is the wrath of God on that sin. And then what you've got to realize is it's like, man, you've been saved from that wrath of God. And if God lets you go, there's still enough sin that comes out of you daily that that wrath of God could still be released upon you. It's only a daily application of the grace of God upon our souls that God does not unleash his wrath upon us. Now, this kind of preaching doesn't is, is frowned upon a lot of times because it's brimstone, was it, fire and brimstone preaching. We're just trying to scare people into hell. So what pastors like me at times have done is I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that's up here just always talking about God's wrath and he hates you and you've got to do better and you got to be better and we got to it's like no. But if we're going to talk about salvation, then salvation from what? From Satan? It's part of it. From our own sin? It's part of it. But from the wrath of God because here's the point. If God's wrath, if God is one whose wrath is is after you, then who can save you? And the answer is clearly, clear, clearly, only God Himself. And this is what He has done while we were yet sinners: God saved the ungodly. It's the gospel. I mean, that's what you need to understand. So if we if we placate God's wrath by saying He just loves everybody, you know, I mean, then and. I, there is truth in this too, but it just you have to also have as you're thinking about God, God is not a fool. God is not blind. God is always as holy as He's ever been and more holy than we have ever thought Him to be. And He demands the standard in more than one place in the Old Testament and the New Testament is holiness. That's His standard. You must be holy as I am holy. And Paul is like, Yes, and this is how you don't do it. Paul wants us to know that our very salvation from the wrath of God depends on our faith. Now, when I say first point, don't think all this was introduction and he's just getting to the first point. It kind of is, but the first point is that um, it's the content of our faith, faith's content. That's important. Not just faith, but what is it? Who is it? What do you believe in? What is the content of your faith? So just look again at verses uh, chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, because this you know, will be the third time we've preached about it in here, but this is the heart of the gospel that's in here. This is the content of the faith. Now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, bears witness to it. It's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, because there's no distinction, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified. Now that word there is dikosene. It's that same word anytime you see righteousness and just and justified. In the Greek, that's the same word. Okay? So it just doesn't sound right to say, I'm going to righteousify somebody. So we don't have that word. We, somebody is justified. But we use that word a little bit differently than than sometimes we might too. But this is you are declared just, you are declared righteous. So you're in the courtroom, it's not just not guilty, though you get that too, it's not just pardoned, though you get that too, it's not just being ransomed out of slavery, though you get that too, it is you are declared to possess a righteousness, not just lack of, like, okay, I did all these bad things, or we're going to rip those pages out, and we're going to erase that. As far as the east is from the west, our sin has been removed from us. Yes and amen. But then you stand there with nothing. But that's not what God does. God imputes, God credits through our faith the righteousness of God to our account. So when you stand before the holy God in judgment, He sees you clothed, hidden in, covenantally, and in Uh, relationship with his son that stands there and you're clothed in his righteousness and everything that he has done has been credited to your account. His death, his burial, his resurrection, done. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. You have that credited your account. And <clears throat> we're justified by his, uh, his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. In other words, you've been purchased out of sin. The penalty has been paid. Paul's like just piling up all these things let us know what salvation consists of. God put him forward as a propitiation. These are all these big words. Propitiation a, a propititory. I feel like what like Don was saying. I feel like I've taken some kind of Allergy medicine, my lips were. (laughs) Perpetuatory, man, the perpetuatory sacrifice is one which is given to placate the wrath of a God. Okay, so in this particular case, Jesus Christ was offered as a sacrifice to the Father so that the wrath of God would be absorbed by him and we do not drink that cup. But if you're not in Christ, you still have that wrath to look forward to. And it is to be received by faith. It was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show the righteousness at the present time so that he might be righteous and the righteousifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So what becomes a boasting? And this is his point, why he brings up Abraham here. Because if you, if you have done something... To earn salvation, to merit, to merit his love, to merit these things, then you can boast about that. Look what I did! I walked down the aisle. I said the prayer. I did this. I did that. I gave the money. I forgave. I, you know, I did these things, and therefore, divvy up, pay up. And what he's saying here, he even makes this comparison. It's like in verse four, 4, 4 the one who works, his wages are not counted as gift, but as due. You know, you go to work, they're not paying you as a gift. You're not going there just because, hey, you know, you're, you work, they pay. It's a contractual agreement. It's not as working with God. There's no work and you get paid. If we're going to get paid, we're talking about justice and that's going to be a problem for sinners like us. But it is faith that is defined as this faith in Jesus Christ, he is the content of our faith. Paul wants us to see that even Abraham from the Old Testament, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, the father of the Jews, the ones that they held up the most to being a righteous man and father of the faithful. He is telling the Jewish people that even Abraham was not justified and declared righteous because of his actions, but it was because of faith. And what he's also saying is Abraham was justified by the righteousness of Christ. And that's a big thing to get, that Abraham was justified by the righteousness of Christ, which he also received by faith before he was circumcised, so that Abraham is the father of the Jews and the Gentiles, those who are outside of the Jewish faith. But Abraham, still being our father, of the faithful. Now, R.C. Sproul, in his commentary on Romans, points out that believing in the existence of God is not enough. Just believing in His existence, and because James says, of course, you know the demons believe and they they shudder in fear, and, and they're not being saved. And Sproul says that it's necessary for true faith that it be a personal trust in the God of the Bible, a personal trust in the God of the Bible. And he shares an example from D. James Kennedy, which some of you may have heard of. And he says this <clears throat> All right, we're going to do a lot of show and tell stuff, but do you see this chair? And he says, Do you believe that this chair will hold you up? And we look at it and we'd say, Yeah, I mean, it's a good chair. Do you believe that it's going to hold you up? But then the question he asks is, but is it holding you up now? And that's a difference. Because you might believe that Jesus can save you, but it has You might believe that I can trust in Jesus Christ, that I can rest in Jesus Christ, but are you? Those are different things because a lot of people really love the fact that Jesus is a Savior. That all who come to him by faith might believe in him. They may sing his praises. This is the best chair in the whole world. I love this chair. That's a beautiful chair. But unless you're resting in this chair, then you're not resting in the chair. Unless you're resting in Christ, you're not resting in Christ. No matter what you might believe about what he can do. Paul wants us to know that we cannot depend on works of the law to save us. If our faith is in works of the law, that's called legalism. That's trusting in the law and rules and works to save you rather than faith or that you grow in Christ by doing better rather than trusting in him more and more and more. We do not earn anything from God by works. Paul says you cannot be saved by doing good things. You are only saved by the justifying work of Jesus Christ, his perfect life and the Then his death on the cross and God's vindication of him in his resurrection from the dead on the third day. And God declares that none are righteous except those whom he declares to be righteous in Christ. That's it. Even in faith, even your faith in Christ is not rewarded as a work. And if it was, it would contradict what Paul's talking about. So sometimes we look at our faith as something we did. I believed I did this. All that's true. But what you have to see is that if God is rewarding our work of faith then he's paying us for believing. If faith is the result of a decision that I made on my own, something I had would have to decide before I had faith. Then that's quite a work apart from faith. I mean, you just decide to believe? What caused that decision? I mean, faith, it's the chicken and the egg thing. You know, you can't have faith without having faith first. But we tend to think that, well, it's something I did. Why did the thousands not believe and, and the, the few did believe? And if we look at it and say, look what I did, I believe. Therefore, you know, look what I did, look what I did. You, you glory in that. You, you, you revel, you boast in that. But if it's like, I don't know why God saved me as a sinner. But he did, and I praise him for it, and he'll save you too. You know, you have but to believe. And it's like this preaching the gospel to everybody. And then if you hear him speaking, if you hear his voice, if you hear it in your inner person, that's, a, that's God speaking to you. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. You have a response that you must make to that. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit within you too. God enables these things. And if you feel like, well, I don't know, I want to know, then what he says is, read his word, go to church, Pray with other people. He doesn't say, try harder, do harder, do harder. He's saying, do you want to know more about me? Is that what's happening here? You want to know more about me? Then then here, Read my word. And then as we spend time doing this, we grow in grace. We don't grow in, wow, I certainly am doing, you know, if you just continue patting yourself on the back because of all of the good things you've done, because even if it's stuff he's told you to do, but it's look at me, look at me, look at me, then it's like, is that what you're doing? saying out there in the street corner, you know, turn to me, I'll set you free. That's the politician's line. That's not the gospel's line. Turn to Christ. Faith is the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. We're to take delight in all that He takes delight in. Second point. First is, you know, the content of your faith. Now we're going to look at, well, what about the, the quality of your faith? Is this real faith or not real faith? How do we know that our faith is a saving faith? And Paul isn't exactly answering that question for us right now because Paul's addressing a, a different question of salvation by faith. Paul is addressing um, the issue that's going on with the Jews and the Gentiles, the issue within the church. Religious people who are, who are doing but not believing. Jews who want Gentiles... To come under all the law of Moses. Okay, so there, there are people, who, Jewish people that he's talking to, himself being a Jew, who are saying, you've got to do all this stuff to have God's righteousness. And Paul's like, you think doing stuff is going to get you righteous with God when it's faith that makes you righteous with God? Even Abraham! And now these guys are, that don't have this faith, but they do this work, and it's like, wait a minute now, if you're talking about Abraham, <laughs> that'll get you killed. And it would, and I did. And Paul came back to life too. He he appeared, came back too. You know, it wasn't like propitiatory for our sins, but Paul was beaten. We read last time all the stuff that happened to Paul. You didn't go messing with Abraham. And he wasn't. He's like, you've got Abraham wrong. You've got Moses wrong. You've got the law wrong. These things are pointing you to the the grace that's in Jesus Christ. It all is pointing to this. But if you start talking to self-righteous people, and you start telling them that it's by faith, they will come at you with Scripture big time. They're better than Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? They know how to talk to people because they've trained themselves how to talk to people who fight against their legalism. So you be careful with that. And just because you're called a legalist doesn't make you one, and we're going to talk about this in just a second too. But Paul is making this point that Abraham himself was declared righteous by God through faith. Genesis 15, 6 is where you can read this. And then that gets us to to what he's saying in Romans 4. What shall we say was gained by Abraham? Now, this is one of those points where the ESV is the only one that uses this word gained. If you have any different translation, it will say what was discovered by Abraham or what was found by Abraham. So the Greek word does kind of have this thing gained in there, too. But what he really seems to be saying in the context is if you look at Abraham, what did Abraham figure out about the faith? What did he find? And what he found was God said, your faith is counted to you as righteousness before he'd done anything. So he's making the point of faith and not works. And he's not making a comparison between a worker and a non-worker, but between a worker and a non-worker who believes. Not that the non-worker is not doing good things in faith, but he's not working to try to be declared righteous by God. He's not doing things so that God will say, good job, you're in. Now, if you can get other people to do it, they'll be in too. See, that's the problem. What are you trying to get other people to do? Believe, have faith, trust in Christ. That's what we're trying to get people to do. Now we have to look at James. Because if we aren't careful um, with this, Paul and James might, might seem to contradict each other. And on the single word level, they do. But they're saying exactly the same thing. But James is stressing a different point. James is not going to compare justification with works as opposed to justification by faith, he's going to compare a living faith and a dead faith. Because you've got, Paul's addressing people who believe that mere works of the law are going to save them and make them right and friends of God and make them righteous. And James is addressing people who believe a mere confession of faith at all um, is going to be an acceptance of them before God. And just them accepting true things about God is going to be enough. So Paul's like, don't use your faith as something meritorious to get you in good with God. Don't use your works for that. And what James is saying, now let's talk about this faith of yours. Because Paul is saying you're only justified by faith. And James is like, let's talk about this faith. Now here's the fun thing. Which one came first? Paul's writing or James writing? Well, you flip through the pages. Paul's first. James is next. Well, that's not how the New Testament put together chronologically. So you've got that issue going on. So it's debated as to who wrote first. Did James write what he wrote first? And then Paul's kind of saying, well, let me add a corrective. Or did Paul write this and James is kind of going, let me add a little nuance here. Or did they even know about each other's writings at all? <clears throat> and I think the answer to this is it doesn't matter because they're both true and they're both saying the same thing. So we need to know what they're both saying. Again, Paul is like, don't try to be made right by your works. And then James is saying, so it's by faith. Yes, let's talk about your faith. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about your faith. Just so you know the differences. Legalism is salvation by works. You must keep the law. That's the definition of it. Antinomianism is salvation with no regard to actions at all. There is no law at all. And then Jesus said a tree is known by its fruits. So there is some place for things in your life. Paul is saying Abraham is justified by his faith before he acted. James is saying Abraham's faith was a faith which was seen by his actions. So that's what we're going to look at. So turn to keep your place here in Romans and then turn to James chapter 2. James is... um, if you don't know to, the best way to do it is to go to Revelation and then just start kind of turning the pages back until you run into to James. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. And there's always a table of contents if you have trouble with these things. So uh James chapter 2. And we're gonna begin reading in verse 14 to see this is what listen to James's argument without trying to Make him argue with Paul because he's not arguing with Paul. He's arguing with people that say, I have faith. Or somebody today might even say, I'm saved by grace. And that's it. I don't need you know, anything else but grace, which is true, too. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. <laughs> yeah, if all he's going to do is go out there and tell that boy, have faith, and, you know he's missing our point. So he's comforting his child. All right, let me back up. <laughs> also, faith by itself, does not have works, is dead. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And then James's response is, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, what he's saying is, if you have faith, it is going to... You, 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 you trust in the chair, but all you keep doing is kind of walk around it, and you kind of shake. It's like you don't really trust it. We've got some... Well, maybe OSHA might be listening, but let's just say... We have tall ceilings, and there's things that one must get on to get up there, and those things aren't always the newest things, and some people trust in them, and some people don't, and you can tell the difference between the two people. (laughs) One guy's up there, and the other guy's like, I wouldn't do that, brother. So, you know, this is the thing. Your faith is evidenced by your actions. This is what he's saying. So you're going to talk about your faith, and what James is saying, then you're going to have to, I will show you my faith by my work. And even the word works, this is really the word that people get off into the justify thing. But for Paul works, he's talking about works of the law, doing things to be justified before God. And what James is talking about is actions, the things you should. I can tell what you believe. You can say what you believe all day long, but I can tell what you believe by what we do. The example I've heard a lot is um, the difference between verbal and nonverbal communication. Somebody can say, "I really love this food," but if they're making a face while they're eating it, it's like, "Do you believe their face or do you believe their words? Do you believe what you see?" And so this is what he's saying: You believe that God is one; you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. I mean, that's pretty pretty bad, right there. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? He's going, to, he's going to the same guy, same example. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Same verse. And he was called a friend of God. So you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, If I were a person that's going to find contradictions in the Scripture, I'd be pulling these two things out a lot. But people who do that don't do this. And I guess it's because they know that Christians that have studied this have an answer for it, so they go to other places that we might not have thought about or something. But it sounds like a a definite contradiction because on the word level, it is. You see, a person is... Justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. And his main point is this, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now what he's saying is, is that Abraham's faith was an active faith. Abraham was justified. Now, he's not saying declared righteous necessarily at the same time, but he is because in this particular thing, he's talking about when he sacrificed Isaac. So now, Abraham is believing God's father, faithful. But Abraham's got a few little problems of his own, too. You know, he's faithful, but he also is willing to manipulate circumstances. So you've got to watch him with that. And it seems like Abraham is really loving Isaac disproportionately. I mean, he's already has another son, Ishmael, and he's not treating him too good because now the son of promise has come along. You know, he's got these issues, but he seems like maybe he has a displaced love with Isaac, Yitzhak, the son of laughter. And so God will have no rivals. And God's like, it's not going to be good for Isaac, who's going to be one of the forefathers of the faith, for you to love him more than you love me. You're going to have to demonstrate to Isaac that you love me even more than you love him, because you know that by loving me, you are loving him. And that's an act of faith. So God says to him, sacrifice your son, your only son, your monogenes, fat dude, your only son, the son of promise. And so Abraham believed that God would return his son to him in a resurrection. That's what The New Testament tells us. So he believed God. He was going to go so far. He believed, and this is how you know he believed, because look what he was willing to do. And then he goes to sacrifice Isaac. He raises the blade, and Isaac's not some small child. He had to submit to this at some level, too. And God says, no, stop. Now I I will provide the sacrifice. Now I see that you truly love me. So God didn't know before, and so it's obvious God knew, but what he is doing is showing Abraham something about his faith. Like, you had to struggle with this. I mean, imagine that. I don't even want to imagine. And by the way, God's not speaking to you in this way. So if God tells you to kill somebody or God says do something like that, that is not the way God is speaking. In these last days, God has spoken by his son, his word. So that's where we get this. So God's not telling you to go do stuff like this. Abraham in a different situation. And Abraham was believing God to that point. And then you see, how do you know he really believed? He was willing to do it. And God said, you have now demonstrated it. So now you see that you love me this much. And now I'm going to show you that your trust in me was not misplaced, that I will provide a sacrifice, and he provides the ram, and then ultimately he provides the sacrifice of his own son so that he is willing to sacrifice his son for our righteousness so that we all might live. And so that Abraham's faith is being grown because he's believing and acting on the things he believes. And this is what James is saying. You can say you believe all day long, but it's the example of the ketchup packet. You know, you step on a ketchup packet and ketchup comes up. You step on a mustard packet and mustard comes out. You know, what comes out of you when you're stepped on? And way too often it's our sinful fleshly stuff, but it needs to be coupled with holy spirit stuff too. You know that we're actually becoming more like Christ. And this example is clearly seen in the Lord's Prayer. Because we're told to pray by Jesus, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's Luke 11. Now in in Matthew 6, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus would teach this prayer more than one occasion, but just think about it with the word sin for a minute because it's more immediately understandable. Forgive us, you're praying to God, forgive me my sins as I forgive the sins of others. Because the prayer I would prefer to pray is, Father, in the same way that you have forgiven me, help me to forgive other people. I mean, that's better because I don't have to, I just need to help in doing it. But what we're saying is, in the Lord's prayer is, the way that you see me forgiving people, I want you to forgive me like that. Uh. Ugh! I tell you what, that scares me. That's a scary thing to pray. And If you don't pray that out loud and when you get to that point, go, God, thank you for the gospel. I appreciate whatever this is you're saying to me that this is good. Because here's what he's saying is, as a believer, there is fruit. And have you not seen in your life times when you have forgiven people that, that ordinarily you would not have forgiven? That this is out of the Holy Spirit's working in your life where it's like the natural man would not and cannot really forgive. But with the Holy Spirit working in our lives, we see the principle that Jesus is at work in us, making us more like him who gave himself up for us. And he's able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we're able to say, hey, I see that operating in my life. This is the teaching of the church about how to interpret this, not just me coming up with this. Is that, although I believe it, is that what we're seeing is in the way that I see you causing me to forgive other people, Lord, please forgive me like that. And Jesus wants us to remember, don't be hypocrites. You know, he took parables about that. He's like, I forgive you. And now you see this thing should be working within you or you're forgiving other people. And if you're not forgiving other people, that may be an indication that you've begun in the flesh and you haven't begun in the spirit and you need to get on your knees and we need to begin in the spirit once again, rededicating, repenting, returning to the Lord, our God, our Father as we think about what is it that we're praying even in the Lord's prayer, do we see fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So now that should do two things to the believer in here. One, make you very encouraged that God works in us in such great ways, and I can see this at work. Two, it kind of worries me because I'm not sure I got enough works and fruit to justify that I really have saving faith. (sighs) We're so messed up. But the Bible's good because Paul says, let's look at David. And David says this. So go back to Romans, if you kept your place there. We're going to, verse 6. And this is our, um, I think there's a third point here somewhere. Faith's hope. Yeah, this is it. There was, we had um, faith's content, faith's quality, and now faith's hope. And he says this, Romans 4, verse 6. Just as David, this was King David from the Old Testament, the writer of the psalmist of Israel, also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Okay, so here we go. He's like, okay. I understand there's, there's going to be works. There's going to be a living faith that should be issuing forth with fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things should be ours and ever increasing as we walk in the Spirit. But what about, do I have enough? What about my sin? What about things I still continue to do? And he says this, David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And he quotes Psalm 32, I think this is. <clears throat> Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And blessed is a very good word, and we know what it means, and we feel what it means. And it's not just happy, which happy in the King James time actually meant lucky, (laughs) lucky is the man. You know, it's like happenstance and good things occur. But if you're blessed, it's just like God's hands on you and I don't care what you're going through and I don't care what's happening. I don't care how much money you have in your checking account. I don't care how much, you know, your leg broke twice this week. Your dog ran away. It's like, you know what? Even in the midst of trial and turmoil and tears and suffering and pain, I know deep down I am blessed because God is my friend and one day all of this will be set straight and there is more ahead. And he will get me through this. It's not that God's going to get you through this life trial free, um, checkbook enhanced. It's that no matter what we go through, yea, you are with us. And this is what David does not say. David does not say that he is thankful that it is not the sinless man who is blessed. That's not what David says. Blessed is the man who sins not. He's not saying that. Blessed is the man whose sin is not counted against him. Blessed is the man whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man who the Lord will not count his sin. And then Paul says, not only that, he's going to count your faith as righteousness. So when we struggle with what about the sin that still besets me, preach the gospel to yourself. Lean into the gospel and say, Oh, Lord, who will release me from this wretched body of death? Praise be to God in Christ Jesus. He does not count his sin against us. But <laughs> your life should be marked by the evidence that you've been walking with Jesus for a while. you should be having evidence of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. But when in doubt, preach the gospel, and we rest in a belief in, a trust in, placing our very hopes of our lives, our futures, in the person of Jesus Christ, His atoning death for you, his substitution for you on the cross. It should have been me. It should have been you. But Christ died for thee. And he even says, justifies the ungodly. And that's a, that's a pretty bad word. And that's, that's there in verse, in verse 5. He justifies the ungodly. That's worse than unrighteous. Ungodly is like this bad word in Scripture. It's like it the worst, whoever you think about. He justifies, no matter how bad. But you must trust in him and not in yourself. And we need to understand what a glorious God we serve. Let's pray. Father God, you sent your son, your only son, to die on the cross for us, to live a perfect life, did not deserve this, took it upon himself. Um, Before the foundations of the world, y'all planned this, that there would be redemption of your people in Christ Jesus alone, that without you we would not inherit heaven. But that we would see your love, your grace, your mercy, your peace, your forgiveness. Lord, and even as we come to your table, you tell us taste and see. This is, you know we need tangible things. And, and this is a covenant. So we entered into our, the beginning of our faith, the beginning of our, our church covenant life by baptism. And we continue in growth and sanctification. Through feeding on you and your word, you bring us to this covenant meal, meal to say you are still ours. And we rededicate ourselves to you. We love you. We need you. You are he who died. We get the benefits of that. You have not left us alone. You never will. So help us, Lord, to be more like you in every way, every day. and in your And we depend upon your grace for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.